No Gods, No Monsters contains spoilers, profanity, and substance use. secret time or work saving inventions up your sleeves time theft <laughs> nice that's a good one bart we already know about one of barto's uh inventions which is the tiny tiny joint but <laughs> it's not a, a time saving invention i do think okay so this oh, is any invention this isn't Sorry, this any... isn't necessarily um I, i'm stealing this invention because i think about it all the time i think about it. my, my okay. a friend of mine made this made this up um, and I, I've tweeted about it before, but the, the business swing is what he called it, which was uh, a swing that is inside a briefcase and uh, you pull it out and you toss it over a tree branch or a telephone bowl or something like that. So on your lunch break, you go out, you open up your briefcase, there's a swing inside, you toss it over a swing and then you swing on your lunch break. <laughs> yeah, this was I, your friend when you were five years old no he was in his 20s when he came up with this he um but, yeah he was really into i mean yeah i will say a lot of businessmen don't swing because they don't have one no that's true yeah. that's why yeah he was really into that his two big ideas at the time were the business swing and city panthers which was like an idea that he didn't elaborate on too much but i think you can like you can uh, i support both of these Wholeheartedly. So, oh yeah absolutely what yeah. does he do for a living i you know I'm, I'm not, I, he got like a, not inventor he's like joined a um he's like part of a karate cult of some kind i think but okay he, that makes sense <laughs> he i mean charlie if the dad in this movie could be an inventor that kid could be an inventor too oh yeah no. i think he could have been an inventor no, no. a shaming kit on the go a smokeless ashtray uh orange uh, juice making machine versus city panther and i mean yeah but his, all of his ideas are stolen like there's good ideas to the main character to the father's inventions it's just the practical application doesn't work out Swing. yeah but city panthers work charlie i can't remember did you say an invention i said time theft I oh thought, yeah that was yeah. a good one hell yeah um, I came up with it, and I didn't. I don't. Have, I didn't think of any inventions like a fucking rube. Luckily, you have a quick mind that you're gonna fire one at us. Uh, uh, bridge paint. You paint it into the air, and then it makes a bridge, and you can walk on it. Yeah, I mean that's better than fucking business swing. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> I, 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 now I'm like, I like now a tunnel in a tube. You got me thinking. Tunnel in a tube. When you're, uh, when you're, <laughs> yes. when your boss is looking for you, you pull the tunnel out of the tube. You put it on the side of the wall. They go looking for you down what they think is a hallway, and actually, it's just a wall. <laughs> Wow, that, classic. Yeah, yeah, that fits in the uh, Looney Tunes uh, theme of the uh, Gremlins and mm -hmm. Joe Dante's work. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of picturing though these. I can't stop thinking about business swing. I'm kind of picturing these business folks on the swing when the city panthers arrive, and like, are they uh, the few that survive because they can get high I, enough? They're, they're harder to catch. They're up in the air, unlike wait, wait, you suckers on the ground. For multiple people. No, whoever all the all the customers. Oh, okay. Yeah, all, all the businessmen in suits on swings surviving the jaguar apocalypse and okay. Yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, if City Panthers was his invention, surely it's not about Panthers taking over the city. Uh, I think that's I think what it is. It is. <laughs> I mean, I guess you did clarify he's part of the karate cult, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe he was like, this is a good invention, letting animals this out of the zoo. the most cynical I've ever heard you, Charlie. <laughs> Welcome to No Gods, No Monsters, where the anti-capitalist kaiju and monster movie podcast in a world where no one's coming to save us. I'm Rabbit. I'm Charlie, pro-work, um, which <laughs> I want to put out there because I hear a lot of people poo-pooing on work and saying things like fuck work and other porno words uh, attached to work. And I just want to point out that, you know, the revolution isn't going to come without work. And what happens after the revolution? Well, it's going to be a lot of work. So putting this out there that work is inherently bad or wrong, I just think we need to get past that and look to what the beauty that work can bring. All right, and who are you? <laughs> and I, I'm Barda. And today we're talking about 1984's Gremlins, because it's the holidays. Merry Christmas, everybody. Hey, Merry Christmas, Bartow. Merry Christmas, Charlie. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Uh, I only asked for one thing from Santa this year, and it was for Charlie to tell me what this movie's about. Country singer Hoyt Axton is on what I like to call a present prowl. The hunt for the perfect gift. Nothing less will do. His prowl takes him to an awesome shop in Chinatown that's run by a guy who worked on the original King Kong. And here, what started as an admirable but unnotable present prowl became the most successful and legendary present prowl in the present history books. For not only did he find the perfect gift for his son Billy, he also discovered the cutest thing in the universe. He found Gizmo, a creature known as a mogwai. If you don't like this movie, then that means you don't like Gizmo and you're a real fucking sicko and not the good kind of sicko. So I just want to put that out there. If you don't like this movie and you don't like Gizmo, then please turn this podcast off and don't ever listen to us again. And all three of us have signed off on that statement. Now let me tell you, (laughs) despite their cuteness, Mogwai are not an easy pet to care for. They can't stand bright lights and sunlight will kill them. You can't get them wet they will spawn a bunch of mean-spirited mogwai. And you can't feed them after midnight, or they will turn into the essence of anarchy distilled in the body of a grotesque little green dude. A regular El Barto, if you will. Daddy Axton takes Gizmo home, and everyone strangely seems kind of underwhelmed. I mean, don't get me wrong, they are surprised, but not to the extent they should be, considering this is an entirely unknown type of animal that exhibits three properties that defy humans' understanding of the laws of nature. The scientist he takes Gizmo to is a fucking middle school science teacher. (laughs) That's how underwhelmed they are by this discovery. 
Your synopsis is like all my main points. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I love it. It's great. Anyways, of course, undisciplined bank teller nerd Billy immediately gets down <laughs> to fucking up these three rules. After child star and Jason Voorhees murder, Corey Feldman spills water on Gizmo. Five new Mogwai spawn from Gizmo's back. These five immediately get down to causing mischief, but realizing that full anarchy can, can't be achieved until they obtain full gremlin status, the new Mogwai trick Billy into feeding them an absolute mound of chicken after midnight. Now that Leader Stripe is green and gross, he can realize the teachings of Kropotkin by jumping into the pool at the YMCA and creating an army of proletariat. This new leftist army wreaks havoc across the city, pledging their lives to destroying automobile, industry, and the ingrained social conservatism slash fascism of Reagan's America. Billy and Kate, notorious fun, fun haters, as an example of this, just listen to Kate prattle on about why she doesn't like Christmas, decide to put an end to the night of mischief by blowing up their local theater. Stripe lives this crime against cinema to attempt to start another revolution. However, Gizmo shows him the light, thus dissolving his flesh and blood. The end. They're the fun-sized monsters with a king-sized bite. It's Joe Dante's Gremlins, baby. Uh, okay, what, this is a, this is a, uh, a classic, a family classic Christmas holiday movie that I had never seen before. What, how about y'all? Do y'all have a history with this movie? Yes. I've, I've wa- only watched this probably for the first time, like, ten years ago, but I've watched it so many times over the last ten years. Yes. <laughs> yeah, this movie and its sequel, I, I, were childhood favorites of mine. Um, I don't know how young, but I remember watching them multiple times as I was a kid. I always preferred number the second one, which I think I still do, but I, I still absolutely love this movie. Uh, I think it's one of the greatest Christmas movies. I took my mom to see it in theater a couple of years ago, and um, it was an absolute blast. We both loved it. It's, it's, it's a perfect movie, in my opinion. One of my two favorite holiday films. I get this and Eyes Wide Shut are, are my, <laughs> my two go-to Christmas movies every year. I've never seen that one still. Oh, man. It slaps. Some real sicko choices. <laughs> but I approve What them. about... Like uh, so, I've seen Gremlins two. I watched that a few months ago. Um, I think I like this one better, but that one more politically was a lot of fun. Um, but what about other Joe Dante stuff? Do y'all have like a history with him? Yeah, I I love Joe Dante. Um, the Burbs was another movie I watched uh, all the time when growing up. Small Soldiers, right? Small oh, Soldiers dude. I saw in theaters when it came out. It's I so have not good. seen it since. I've been meaning to buy the the recent Blu-ray that was released of it. Minion Death Cult was just tweeting about it, and it made me remember so many great parts about it from when I was a kid. It's fucking awesome. Uh, like yeah, Phil Hartman I, I... saying he thinks World War II was probably his favorite war. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my understanding is that it it stands up for sure. Um, I loved it as a kid. It's great. Yeah, I remember really liking it when I saw it in theaters. Uh, I just saw Explorers for the first time last or two nights ago, uh, which... I have never seen before, but I figured because we're doing a Giordante movie, I should bust it out. It's great. The Howling is one of the all-time great uh, werewolf movies, in my opinion. He did Rock and Roll High School? No. No. He's involved in Rock and Roll High School. Yeah, Rock and Roll That's High School cool. is a Corman production, and he got his start um, working for uh, Roger Corman. Oh, okay. Um, that makes sense. Okay. Which, uh, Piranha, his first movie, was uh Roger Corman production. All right. 
general uh, thoughts and feelings about this movie? I mean, it's uh, <clears throat> it's fun. It's sweet. Uh, there's one of the great mom characters of all time whose who's rush to extreme violence is um, <laughs> inspiring, really. It's so inspiring that it, it uh, inspired PG-13. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. That makes sense. There's a, there's a lovable himbo. Um, <laughs> there's a, a fun dog. There's a... A landlord getting her comeuppance. There's, there's like, there's so much to like about this movie. And then there's some like kind of weird racism that I'm sure we're gonna like talk through, which I don't know. I have a lot of like complicated feelings about that. I, I don't know how to um, exactly what he was trying to say with it, but I don't think he was trying to be racist. But maybe. <laughs> yeah. Charlie, how about yourself? It's wonderful. I've, I love it. I've always loved it. One of the greatest Christmas movies ever made. So I've overlooked this movie for a long time. I never saw it growing up. And I was like, okay, Gremlins. Like, I was not looking forward to watching it. What? And from the beginning, it was great. But, like, partway through, you know, as the gummies were kicking in more, I was just like, this movie is fucking amazing. Like... Not only did it start to feel like, holy shit, the gremlins are like a critique on us. This is so great. <laughs> mm -hmm. But also, like, this movie commits. It's like an inverted Christmas movie that, like, like it's like a comedy horror that thinks horror is funny and comedy is scary. <laughs> like, it's just so good. And, like, they don't let up on anything the atmosphere the music the sets the acting the mm -hmm. pace everything works together so beautifully i fucking love this movie it's great one thing about everything working together like that and the sets and stuff i think it's so impressive that this is dante's first uh actual studio movie i think he really utilized what he had under his control with that kind of budget um totally and uh spielberg's assistance to really put something together that he couldn't have without that studio system and he had just he just seemed to be fully and naturally aware of how to how to use everything to his advantage and put this perfect product out and and it's beautiful it's yeah. like so yeah. cool looking there's one shot in this movie that like takes me out of it where they're it's where the gremlins are walking down the neighborhood street together and I, yeah. I think it's stop motion. Yeah, it is. Rather than, and and it's the only shot in the entire thing of all these weird puppets doing <laughs> all this wild shit that makes me go like, oh yeah, these guys aren't real. But every other bit of it, it feels like you're watching little guys. A, a, a fun part of that shot, uh, there's a point where the um, they're making it and the street light, the light went out, uh, and they're like, shit, we're going to have to do this all over again. And Joe Dante is like, no, I'll just put a sound effect so it'll sound like the they just broke the streetlight. Um, which is just an <laughs> awesome anecdote. Yeah, I should say I watched um, on the Blu-ray disc, there's two commentaries. I watched the commentary with Joe Dante, um, the producer, Mike Fennell, and the uh, special effects slash puppet artist, Chris Wallace. And it's a great... Um, 
uh, commentary. The other commentary was with a bunch of actors, which is probably also good, but this one was super informative and great. And that's, I'm going to be pulling some stuff from that. Cool. Hell yeah. I think also like just the way, I don't know how much was, was after the script and how much was part of it, but there's a lot of really great foreshadowing in this movie that makes you feel like they, in a way that just makes it feel like they kind of trust you to be going along with them. Mm. Like the, the kid, having a costume that's a tree and then the gremlins mm-hmm. jumping out of the tree like cued to my very stone brain like oh i'm supposed to be a paying attention yeah. to the little touches and then like the swords on the, the sword, wall yeah. coming down like it's just great uh really well crafted and like if i really really think about it this might be controversial but i think this might be my favorite burger king sponsored christmas horror movie <laughs> <laughs> it might be let me throw some things out so first of all i th- think one of the cool things about this movie is that so the idea of gremlins is they brought them back with them from world war ii and they're creatures that the foreigners put into machinery to destroy the machinery whatever but that's i think in lesser filmmakers slash script writers that would kind of be the only illusion of that but it's they put it throughout this entire movie it's everything where it's just a constant theme of the dad's inventions just kind of completely fucking up um, to then a lot of the uh, gremlins um, destruction and terror can be ultimately attributed to machinery malfunctioning. So like his snowplow attacking his, his house or um, uh, I want to come back to this in like a big way. Yeah. Cause this is blowing my perspective out of the water. Yeah. This is crazy. <laughs> I want to, I want to, I mean, we could talk about all of this now if we really want no, to, let's hook it in later, but, <laughs> I'm glad you're introducing it now. Okay. okay. And I, I think that's just a really cool thing interwoven in it. And like I said, like I don't think kind of lesser filmmakers would have gone into it as much as, as, as it's done here. Um, Especially for like a silly kids movie. Yeah. You know? Well, that's the thing. That's That was one of the things the whole entire time was they didn't know how to market it. They didn't know what kind of movie it was. Um, yeah. Uh, I still don't. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's so yeah, great. Like I said, it's uh, so good. Yes and Temple of Doom is what led to PG-13. Yeah. But uh, another thing is, uh, so the original script by Christopher Columbus. Um, which, by the way, director of Home Alone, which, yeah. come on, one of the greatest Christmas movies of all time, yeah. even though the politics yeah. are fucked. Both, both um, Home Alones. Yeah, one and two. Yeah. Uh, One's better, though. But. but the original script was super, well, one doesn't have Trump, so no. Um, the... The original script of this was super gruesome. The like there's the mom's head rolling down the stairs at one point when Billy comes Holy home. Shit. Um Gremlins eating <laughs> dogs at one point. Or yeah. just dog, uh, Barney, I'd assume. Stripe was originally supposed to be Gizmo, but Spielberg Dante and Spielberg both had final cut in the movie, but obviously you think Spielberg had a little bit more pull over that. And Spielberg was like, You can't turn this thing into a, a no. gremlin like come on and 100 yeah. percent correct there uh good job spielberg yeah. he's a magician but, i'm telling you guys that's also why that didn't happen till late in the production of the movie so there's a lot of things that they had to shoot with mogwai gizmo that they hadn't planned to so that's why you see him like more in the backpack and not as kind of like around mm. in, in a full perspective in like the second half of the movie is because uh, he wasn't supposed to be there he wasn't built to they do hit that, it so. well yeah i didn't notice yeah, yeah i think it's pretty good um 
the actor who played the store owner, he worked on the original designs for the King Kong press book. Nice. Did you guys uh, notice who, when they're, when Billy's in the bar, like after work, that he's talking to the Chuck Jones? The Chuck Jones. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. He calls him Mr. Jones there, but it's, you know, <laughs> the Chuck Jones. Yeah. Um, Dante was a huge Chuck Jones fan. So that. Um, Shocker. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, uh, some other cameos are. At the Inventors Conference, there's Jerry Goldsmith, the composer, in a hat behind, in a like I think it's a cowboy hat behind him. Uh, Spielberg drives by in a little cart. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, that's Spielberg. No yeah. Uh, oh, what a young. And then man. that same scene, uh, not a cameo, but there's a time machine in the back that you see it in one shot and then the next shot you see it and it's disappeared. I think there's like smoke and there's like people like looking around for it. And it's just like a quick little gag in the back that uh, is easy to miss. And it's just a great little clever thing they put in there. There are so many little Spielberg references peppered Mm -hmm. throughout this movie that were really fun. The Indiana Jones style billboard. Mm, Uh, Gremlin said phone home. Yeah, uh, nice. I think uh, they played the Close Encounters theme on the piano. Oh, did they? Oh shit! Um, I'm not positive. Or like the do 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 when the they they do a double gag when the gremlin is hiding in the stuffed animals because there's also I think a toy ET sitting in the stuffed animals oh, where the gremlin is hiding. I didn't notice that. Um, I'm pretty sure that was an E.T. toy. In the beginning, when he's like walking through the city, he walks by a theater that is playing um, is playing a double feature of Boy's Life and Watch the Skies, which were the two original titles for E.T. and Close Encounters. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, I guess they made Gizmo the color of Spielberg's dog in order to kind of like early on in the making and to kind of like get his approval quicker. For, for like uh, stuff that they were working on. Wow, <laughs> that says way more about Spielberg than it does about any of them. <laughs> Amazing. Who we got for dumb cop of the week? I mean, it might be a pretty easy one. I don't know who's who's going first. Mike from Breaking Bad. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what? The younger cop is Mike from Breaking Bad. I did not realize that. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I had no idea. That's amazing. Yeah, really looking like such an ugly motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> yes. So uh, that didn't happen with age. Okay. No, I mean he he aged into him. He looks much nicer as an older man than he did. I mean, I'm sure part of that <laughs> is makeup and them making him like drunk and stuff like that. But sure. Yeah, I don't know for you know for. Wanting, you know, dumb dumb cop, he gets the award for uh, wanting to take the keys after he's clearly, <laughs> clearly had too much to drink. Totally. Um, also for being, oh, that's the, that's the craziest, stupidest story I've ever heard. And then they introduce Gizmo, and they're like, right. oh, wow, look at this little thing. And then he's like, it's the gremlins that are doing the destruction. Like, yeah, sure, going on about the gremlins again. Yeah, <laughs> like, totally. Why would you... But both <laughs> cops are guilty of that which is why i picked sheriff frank for because he does that but he also pours liquor into milk ruining the liquor so i have to give it to him what liquor was it 
I don't know, some kind of fucking liquor. I'm trying to think. Besides a white Russian, like what else would you do with milk? Either way, if it's a white Rus- Russian, you're dumb cop of the week to me. Uh, I drink disgusting. I, oh, white Russians wow. are disgusting. Right, white Russians are uh, amazing. I mean, <laughs> oh, we got it here, folks. I, I drink I'm white gonna, Russians. Uh, uh, I'm gonna cut frequently. that out. Um, please edit uh, that part out <laughs> yeah i will it's just gonna say white russians are disgusting that's all it's gonna Ugh. say no i, I love white russians I, love that white was... russians. Oh, I have like a milk phobia we're not meant to drink it it's horrible my mom Stop used it. to like give me that when i was like 15 16 she'd make me little white russians all the time <sighs> Dude, they're so I, good uh, um for bed oh i made some homemade Kahlua, uh because i want to uh Give my mom a bottle for Christmas, um, and so I've been uh, outside of that bottle. I've been I had an extra like half a bottle that I've been having White Russians with the past couple weeks. Hell yeah, brother! <sighs> All right, I think I'm done. Y'all got this. <laughs> my dumb cop of the week is a little meta, so it is the studio executives who wanted to cut out um, Kate's monologue about her her dad um dying in christmas during christmas at santa i, I don't blame them it's so i'm glad it's there but it's so fucking weird dude uh, the tone shift i want to i want to i as long as we're on this topic i'm just gonna say this really quick i it was it's about that point in the move in most like studio comedies about that like three quarter point where I start to lose interest in almost all studio comedies. And yeah. that tone shift is so fucking weird that it like peaks me right back in again. Because I'm like, what the fuck is going that. on? It's not just that. The line, and that's how I found out there's no Santa Claus, is a perfect line. <laughs> yeah. It is incredible. Like, so good. It, the, the fact that you would even mention that after your dad is dead, but also just to yeah. put that cherry on top, that is the most amazing line of any movie I've ever heard. It's so funny. And like, I also think, I mean, I hope we come back to this part as a whole, yeah. because like, I do think that actually plays a role in the film and it's huge role and, it, and it's criminal that they would take it out. You're losing a piece totally. of what makes like the, the, it thematically come together yeah well definitely uh yeah joe dante thought it encapsulated the whole tone of the movie said it's funny when you hear it but it wouldn't be funny if it happened to you um yeah and uh, the studio said they didn't know whether to laugh or cry and that's why they he should cut it and joe dante said like well that's what's good about it yes perfect yeah apparently um they like had a whole campaign trying to cut it and they went to spielberg and we're like, they first went to Dante, and he's like, "No, I don't. I'm not going to cut that." So they went to Spielberg and, and kept asking him to cut it. And uh, Spielberg, I guess, didn't like the scene too much. But then he asked Dante, "Was like, you, you really, you like the scene? You want to, to stay in?" And Dante was like, "Yeah, definitely." And he's like, "Well, if it means that much to you, let's keep it in." Um, and basically, up until the movie was released, the studio was trying to pressure Spielberg into cutting it, like to the extent where they wanted. Like the cut, the films were already made. Like they would have to go and physically uh, splice it out of the movie if Spielberg <laughs> agreed to a cut. That's how much they were against it. Damn, that's amazing. Yeah, but uh, and once again, props to Dante. This is his first studio film, and he stood by his guns and didn't back down. Totally, it's pretty sweet in my opinion. So yeah, studio. Oh, yeah. 
the studio executives, dumb cops. Charlie, what's your Praxis Award? That's the gremlins themselves for their dedication to anarchy and <laughs> tearing down the the systems, the patriarchal systems in place in small town America. Hell yeah. Barto, what do you got? The gremlins for launching a landlord out the damn window. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I'm yeah. talking about. All right, I got two. One is Barney for breaking Mrs. Deagle's imported snowman. <laughs> Solid move. The other is Mrs. Deagle for adopting so many cats. <laughs> Thank you for taking care of these animals. I I actually, it did cross my mind um, to do Mrs. Deagle too, because, you know, she talks about how much she's going to, she hates Barney. She's going to kill him. But then Barney attacks her at a bank, jumps at her, knocking her to the ground and like biting at her she could immediately have that dog killed sue billy sue the bank she could like wreak so much havoc from it uh if she really was as horrible as the front that she puts on does but she did nothing she's just like oh i'm gonna continue hating your dog and it's like wow that's you know she's not as bad as uh the movie makes out i guess Sometimes not doing what your body is telling you and your mind's telling you to do is praxis for sure. For sure. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, like, that was like. Totally. The dog fucking attacked her. Like, you can't deny that. She's an old woman that had a dog attack. Hey, but she's a rich old woman who. True. We'll get into it. Uh, okay, favorite shots. Um, I have a lot. Uh, so I'm going to start with a few. Maybe I'll go back to some more. Uh, just deaths the head in the fireplace incredible mm-hmm. the microwaved head <laughs> or microwaved guy great yeah yeah start with that um mine was uh every shot with gizmo in it yeah <laughs> I, I, nice incredible looking little guy mm-hmm. yeah the cutest i really like that initial shot where they're they're behind um the movie screen Yes. And the silhouettes of the guys are coming on up. It's really haunting. It's very, It's very like a good. middle millisecond, though, where they look really creepy. Yeah, and then right? it changes to, like, yes. a different sort. It looks more like an actual silhouette rather than, like, this ghostly silhouette, but... It slaps. Yeah, I had a, the millisecond where their shadows are on the screen look dark and creepy. The other one that I would say is the, the final shot. That, like, painting, mm-hmm. or, or that it looks so good. That, like, yeah. him walking down the snowy neighborhood. Um, oh, so it's just it's beautiful. Cozy. So cozy. Yeah. I, I really like the swimming pool, too. It was just oh, such yeah. a classic practical effect where it's all coming out green. And it's like, it's just lights and fog, but it's, yeah. and with the music, it's so good. Yep. Or um, when Gizmo spawns, uh the other mogwai and you have like these hairy balls that are just growing um cool effects that just look awesome uh so much cool puppetry and effects in this movie um yeah another one shout out to the dog who is an incredible actor dante says one of the best actors he ever worked with um throughout the entire (laughs) thing definitely one of the greatest animal actors possibly the greatest animal actor i've ever seen just his facial expressions throughout are incredible and uh but one yes. of the perfect things that had to be just such like a unexpected perfect moment caught on camera is when him and gizmo are kind of like hanging out by the tree and the other mogwai are uh freaking out and one of them spits like throw up towards them or something and both 
Barney and Gizmo look at the throw up on the ground at the same exact time. Um, <laughs> and it's just perfect timing. Uh, Hell yeah. Just, yeah. Barney rules. Well, one of the things, I mean, we've touched on it, but that is so interesting about this movie is it's like a kind of dark Christmas movie. Christmas movies generally, you know, of course, warm, like we're talking about the last shot and like, you know, just like positive and loving. Uh, but they really start out with it being a little dark. And then it's, you know, Kate says, while everyone is opening their presents, the rest are opening their wrists. <laughs> like, that's fucking intense. Um and plus the the story we've already talked about, uh, I just I loved this aspect and it felt like it carried throughout. Okay, I don't know if this is exactly the thesis of the film, but it is looking at everything. It is looking at everything that we care about as a whole, like as a an American consumer society, and being like, actually this this all kind of sucks and is broken and worthless, <laughs> and like. This joy that you feel around all this stuff is kind of like bullshit. Mm -hmm. And she takes sort of the most extreme position yes. on this that, that you could take. That like Santa is dead and he was your dad. So your dad's dead too. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know. It just works. And, and like no one else is like behaving like when he tells her or when she tells him this story he his behavior like both stories really his behavior is just like wow that's weird yeah and not like not like yeah. there's something like really wrong going on here um because he's just kind of a himbo i mean his behavior at that at the outset too is like you know, she's like, Christmas is really bad for me. And he's like, oh, I'll just yeah. explain that it's presents <laughs> yeah. and happy feelings and you'll feel better. And it's like, fuck you, dude. Like, no, I'm trying to tell you something. Like, yeah, he, he feels like an average American when getting bad yeah. news or hearing yes, a hard thing. Absolutely. I mean, and and I think we'll return to this when we're talking about the gremlin, the gremlins and like what they mean and what they are. But like. I don't know if he's supposed to be good. You know, he's like likable and affable and stuff like that. But I'm not sure if he's supposed to be like the yeah. moral center of this film in any way. Mm -mm. I think also uh, just like, yeah, she's the extreme, like you said. But the film kind of plays with this throughout. Like they play sleep in heavenly peace, but in like a dark, slower tone. So you have these Christmas music that's like suddenly you're like hearing the evil already inherent in our Christmas music. And then, of course, we have the fact that, you know, Christmas is about presents. Gizmo is a present. And then we have this, you know, the gremlins are consumers to the utmost degree. And we have this like final showdown in a toy store in a mall, I think, which, you know, basically i mean yeah what is christmas it's a shopping list for most of us until you get to the day and this movie really wants to highlight i think the consumerism and i i don't know that they're tying it directly to christmas but it's clearly uh they're connected right yeah hoyt axon's character the dad um he's like one of the most likable characters in the movie he's just very um warm and seems very loving to care very much for his family and stuff like that but then he also has this kind of gross capitalism streak like in the beginning, you see him like, oh, you know, he's like insisting to buy uh, Gizmo, even though the guy's like, he's not for sale. He's like, oh, come on, $200, $200, come on, you can't not sell him. And then later when uh, yeah, uh, he 
Um, and you get the idea with his inventions that it's not driven, you know, obviously he wants to make money off them, but it also seems like he has a real love for inventing and real passion for this kind of thing. But then he sees um, the gizmo spawn a bunch of mogwais and his reaction isn't, this is one of the greatest scientific discoveries in history. This is absolutely insane. His reaction is, <laughs> yeah. think of all the money we could make. This could be like, this could replace the dog as the household pet. This is immediate thought and it's just like i think there's even something more there because he's such a warm and lovable character otherwise that still um but still his first thought of this stuff is just immediately about capitalism and, and turning a profit well and that's sort of how like a lot of this movie feels to me like mm-hmm. there, there's everything is kind of squishy there's no like i don't think there's too many like firm lines drawn mm-hmm. in this movie um, which is cool yeah. because it's also saying is saying a lot of things, but like it is, it almost refuses to give you what the filmmaker actually believes about any of them. Cause there's, mm. you know, like you just described the gremlins as like consumers. Um, I think rabbit, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're at the bar. They're at the movie theater. They're like, they're, they're, eating all the stuff they can't stop yeah but like they're also i think foreign invaders you know sure. at, the, at the same time they are they're not only consumers but they are the cheap imitation tv that he bought that's not the zenith they're the parts in his car you know they are sitting you know gizmo is singing along perfectly mimicking the song that he's playing there they've like fig- they right away they figure out hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work, they go, you know, they're, like, doing these weird, they are becoming us, you know, in, in this way, and even though they're from some outside thing, which was, like, a big mm-hmm. fear in the 80s, of particularly, like, Japanese, the, um, Japanese capitalism as, like, yeah. overtaking our own. I mean, look at the, uh, the companies that survived in, um, Blade Runner. Yeah, like uh, you could see with mm-hmm. the fears of which companies would do better and and survive and stuff. It's oh. yeah, that's a trip. It's interesting because they're the foreign invaders in a way. They're also the consumers in a way. But there's so much about how they are malleable into whatever we put in them, right? You have that final line. Um, you do with Mogwai what your society has done with all of nature's gift. You do not understand you're not ready, and you have the line about gizmo oh you teach it to watch tv nobody's teaching it to watch tv we had tv on so it's learning and so it's like becoming what it's seeing in a certain way and so they're immediately they know our songs they love our disney movies they want our liquor they you know it's a trip it's interesting i um so neither of you have seen explorers nope nope right, so that's a movie he made with um river phoenix and uh ethan hawk uh when they're young kids and they get out to space and they meet um a couple aliens and the aliens they communicate or one of them communicates just by it's been watching earthling television on stuff and it just goes through and recites uh different it talks them by just reciting jokes and uh routines and stuff that's seen from television and just goes through and meanwhile there's like footage playing behind it as well as like explosions and uh movies of uh, humans killing aliens and stuff like that it's 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 kind of interesting to think there's a connection there 
um, yeah. with these foreign creatures kind of taking in and uh, starting to define themselves, I guess, by uh, our American culture. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it, God, it's like there's so much going on in this wild movie that I like don't know where to settle, right? Like, we have this fear of cheap, you know, stuff coming in, but also... And the gremlins are making things cheap, but also the guy's invention, the dad's inventions. Like, to me, it almost, it felt like, before I heard what you said, Charlie, about the gremlins being maybe responsible, it felt like the dad was, like, an example of, like, American and Western technology at where it's at now. Mm -hmm. And then we have, you know, the TVs are all Japanese, the the cars are all Japanese, um, or all foreign, sorry. And then also you have the guy who's the the seller who brings uh, Gizmo back at the end. He's the only one who's nice about the dad's inventions at all. And so that kind of (laughs) ties it back almost to, like, oh, are they... Is this an example of four? I, I don't know what's going on. Like, mm-hmm. I'm fully lost at this point. Well, at some level, I think this is an exploitation film. Like, at, like you can just read it like it, it, it's just kind of like a classic exploitation film. And, Interesting. And they're, like, leaning on those tropes a little mm-hmm. bit. Because, yeah, again, he's squishy, too. You know, because if you, like, think about, I forget his name. I forgot the actor's name too, but the the racist neighbor, um, Futterman, uh, by Dick Miller. Thank you. He's in every um, Joe Dante movie. Yes, and he's great. But you know, there's this weird again push and pull with him where he's like vile through the whole thing. He's he, vile. Yeah. He's he rape. has a Nixon poster next to his front door. <laughs> I did not see that. Yeah. <laughs> he like gets up and like takes off his jacket from like the coat stand or something and then you see this there's a Nixon poster right there. <laughs> Jesus. He's he's just like he's a fucking asshole. He's like mm-hmm. complaining about, you know, like the switching out foreign parts in his car and they should have gotten you know, they got this foreign TV and it doesn't work. And, uh, you know, he lost his job. And so he's mad about, you know, jobs moving overseas and blah, 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 blah. And he's also the guy who's like, gremlins, gremlins are fucking everything. Yeah. You know, he's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and then on the other side, you have like, he's right that there's this like foreign invasion i guess within the context of you know this film um but you know the guy who is the the human symbol of that at the end is the guy who's like why are you why are they watching tv mm-hmm. yes your thing is nice your your smokeless <laughs> ashtray is very nice you, um, totally uh like why are you what, what was the quote again um the, you do with Magwai what you do with all of nature's gifts, you know, mm-hmm. like completely the antithesis of how we've been thinking about, you know, again, he's, I think, supposed to be Chinese, but most of the products yeah. that have been talked about sure. through this are Japanese, and they sort mm-hmm. of really conflate the two through the film. It's almost like, because he says, you do not understand, you're not ready. It's It's almost like... I just I like I can't get over the idea based on this line and how the gremlins act that they're reflections of us. So that's really contrasting with the foreign invader thing. But it's almost like, you know, this foreign invasion wouldn't be a problem if your society wasn't so fucked up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. You know, Yep. because I I when I when I really like I was fucking 
peaking stone probably halfway through the movie and they're in the theater and they're watching the tv and or they're watching the movie and i'm like oh they're us they're the audience of the movie like they're we're them like holy shit and they're like because they're you know they're being whatever consumers but then also they're like on the tv they're like all of a sudden there's a tv with a bunch of them on it and it's like oh they're all of us they're not just the consumers they're everybody and like i couldn't I couldn't keep track, and the more we talk about it, almost the more confusing it gets to me, you know? Yeah. I like the exploitation angle, though. You're like, they're just playing off all these things. There is no master plan. The point of view I get from the film is, like, the everything that we like is kind of fucked up. Uh, yeah. And everything outside of that sort of wind lens uh, is kind of squishy and weird and I don't, I don't really know exactly how to square everything of course the guy who points out that um the shop owner you were talking earlier you know is gizmo happy just being in the box like what is right? gizmo's life at at the shop yeah. like it just seems like he's kind of in the back corner sitting in his box just with like no attention and no nothing to do but just sit there so like is is uh is he is a shop owner a good uh a good um owner of gizmo is a good caretaker of gizmo uh, gizmo totally. seemed happy to see him at the end he did but gizmo was also happy to see billy and uh, hap- uh loved billy too um so maybe gizmo is just an all-around loving guy but billy can't speak gizmo's language though that was a whole thing right like the shop yeah. owner can talk to gizmo yeah oof gizmo gizmo's i mean and that's the thing about it being in a box gizmo picks up english very very quickly and mm. doesn't he say moolah at the end when um when the shop owner gives the 200 dollars back doesn't gizmo Gizmo go (laughs) i didn't notice that (laughs) he is a creature that is just constantly absorb gremlins are creatures that are just like constantly absorbing the world around them mm-hmm. in a way that is so not unlike people that it feels yeah. so cruel yeah. to leave him in a little box yes yeah. definitely except he definitely it's also a magic creature of some kind so you know who knows well we've been talking about just you know gizmo being great and and the gremlins being great well let's let's just talk about them in general uh i mean as someone who was new to watching this movie, I thought they did an excellent job of their, like, reveal as gremlins. Like, there was this slow buildup. You could see shadows of them. You'd hear sounds. You'd hear gl- see glimpses of their limbs. And then you see the record playing, and you're like, wait, okay. And then suddenly you can see all these fucking things. And I, I just, I love both of the designs, and I love the reveal from one design to the other. It was just spectacular. Yeah, I also love... uh what is it the pupil stage where especially if you hadn't seen this before um or i didn't even know what gremlins looked like if you like when i first came out or something like you see the mogwais and all of a sudden there's these fucking disgusting like egg sacs um very xenomorphy yeah for sure incredibly um these green eggs which made me want to have ham a little dr seuss joke for everyone um <laughs> and uh I thought that was that's just such a jarring um, contrast to go from Mogwai to like yes. what the fuck is this, um, and then you see a transition of these gremlins and it, which it's... fits perfectly into the 
you know, Gizmo's Christmas mm-hmm. and Gremlins are the reality of Christmas or whatever. Like uh, just like everything else that mm-hmm. they're pointing out. Oh man, that uh, had you said that already? Because that really felt no, like that, that just hit, occurred to me. That felt like it hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah, poetic. That was really good. I feel like you stumbled on something there. I mean, Charlie pointing out the difference. Yeah, I mean, it's you got the cute toy and then you have all the shit that comes with it, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a little tangent. You guys think Gizmo was like aware of everything that was going on? Because he seems like right away to be very wary of the things that spawned off of him. And then like when they offer him, Billy offers him chicken after midnight. He's like, no, no which um i mean i bet that wasn't the first time he got hit with some water i know his life which makes me wonder like how how do these things um have children usually is it always just spawning from water because it that doesn't seem like it can be the case it's um if it's if they always spawn these evil ones and gizmo's like no these guys are fucked up um so like i don't know i guess we're getting into i guess i'm getting into things that they didn't even think about when uh nature versus nurture uh discussion well i i would i would just say that again uh, mogwai are clearly very emotionally intelligent mm-hmm. little creatures you know it was clear from the get i i don't know if all little mogwai come out assholes when they're when they're made that way their vibes were off right away their vibes were off right away yeah you know gizmo knows he's smart Gizmo's smart. That's why he shouldn't be in a box. Yeah, I agree. Part of, I don't know if this fully fits, but part of Gizmo being so great, it felt like Gizmo was the less westernized one of all of them. You know, Gizmo wasn't picking up American culture and, like, imitating it. Uh, Yes, Um, he was. He's just like, I dig these movies. Was he? Yeah, he, the race car, you know, the... Hmm. Okay, you're right. You know, and the he, next one, he does a Rambo thing. Gizmo does? Oh, that's right. Okay, okay. Yeah. I'll take it back. But by it. still not right. to the extent... I guess it's, it's a different way. It, like, he's just kind of appreciating... Um, I don't know. It, not embodying yeah, as much. Not, I think so. Because, um, I mean, they were jumping straight to cultural stereotypes. Yeah. And, like... <laughs> but I guess, again, this is like the sort of like idea he is the idea of the american like as seen on tv or whatever in the like he's driving a race car and he sings yes songs mm-hmm. and he's really friendly to be around and he's pitch perfect yeah. and and then beautiful this makes total sense and then the gremlins are like the landfill of uh, wrapping paper after Christmas Day, you know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. The like, Gizmo is the idea of like going out to dinner with your family, and Gremlins are what the waiter sees. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yes. 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 Totally. Which, by the way, why was Kate serving them? She kept like <laughs> pouring them drinks and shit. And I'm like, what? What are you? What? I mean, I think. At that point, she was trapped because she had to make an exit with a flash camera in order to get out of True. there. But, like, how did she get to that point in the first place? I know. <laughs> I, I, quick aside about that scene. Uh, last year, 
I um before I watched it last year, I I saw a picture of that gremlin smoking like three cigarettes, wearing sunglasses, <laughs> drinking a beer, and I thought, like, man, I can't think of a better way to spend a Christmas than, <laughs> than doing just that. And I found the one bar that still lets you smoke cigarettes in Chicago, and I didn't do it last Holy year, shit. but I might do it this year. Yeah. It would be especially great if someone comes up to you with a puppet and you have a pan with you that you can hit him with. I don't want to hit anyone with a pan. But what if they start <gasps> talking to you with puppets? Uh, maybe. It is a, a puppet with a puppet is so funny, though. It's really good, so great. Really Didn't he have bit. two puppets? Didn't he end up having yeah. like a puppet on each hand? <laughs> <laughs> that entire scene is just so incredible. Just nonstop. Just like what insane looney tunes ideas can we come up with for these gremlins to do uh just so funny the, the flasher the um poker scene with uh stripes shooting the guy um, totally the, one of the flash dance and dancing in the middle God, that scene is just genius front to back it feels like a 1930s cartoon like a yeah. you know yeah. the, the speakeasy in a cartoon mm-hmm. totally which i will say like watching gremlins 2 it felt like gremlins 2 was way more of just that like what gags can we do mm-hmm. and it didn't i think i loved it but i think that's why this one grabbed me more is it, it felt like it had more than just that i i thought this movie was very well balanced i guess i'll say mm-hmm. speaking of just like the gremlins themselves stripe being the bad guy being like a punk is such a fucking 80s move like it was almost slightly disappointing for this movie because they do so many things subverting stereotypes and then the punks being the evil of the 80s movie is like such a stereotype but did they subvert it too i don't know well i think um you saying that is very funny because uh so they spawn and there's like a scene after they spawn and then uh billy goes to tell his dad and then they go up to like the family room where the mogwai are and billy goes that that guy's that's stripe that's the leader and it's like how do you mm-hmm. know that at this point that yeah. he's the leader there's nothing <laughs> he's he done to indicate that i guess because he's has that because he's a fucking punk he must be like the, <laughs> the shithead leader <laughs> totally that's great the only time i really felt like they like subverted the punk thing was one of my favorite shots of the movie where he's on the the tricycle riding away oh, yeah. in the department store. It's just like such a silly look when otherwise yeah. he's like pretty much just like really tough. And I mean, I guess a little silly, but like it just looks so unusual. Yeah, totally. Good, good bit. Very good yeah. bit. I mean, I liked him as a character. It's cool that they just like were like, oh, we'll have a mohawk on one. So it's really obvious who it is. That was fun. Which was the Mogwai that they gave to the science teacher? Did it have a name or anything? I don't think any of them had a name besides uh, Stripe. Okay. I I loved what you pointed out, Charlie, because it, it feels like in, in your uh, synopsis, it feels like in so many movies, kids are bringing their like anomalies that they discover to their science teacher as if their science teacher is like a scientist. <laughs> and it's just not at all the truth, but to them it is. And that was such a funny trope, but also like, just like everything being squishy, it felt like I couldn't tell if he was good or evil at certain times. Before we get into that, um, it's even funnier here because usually you're talking about like 
you know, it's somebody who's in eighth grade taking it to their science teacher. This is a guy who's like at least 21 and he's oh, like, right. I'm going to my middle school <laughs> high uh, science teacher. That. <laughs> That's this <amazing>. incredible creature. <laughs> well, he so might just funny. be 18. You could probably drink at 18 then. Yeah, I guess it's 1984. We don't know what state it was. He could be. Oh, yeah, but I mean, he wasn't in school, but... though. Never mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And That's Kate the main was, thing. like, serving alcohol. I guess, yeah, I don't know. I mean, hey, Barta's about to smoke in a bar. You know, yeah. the rules are squishy. Yeah, and, of course, she was serving alcohol for free. So <laughs> <laughs> she was not being paid for her work. Yeah, I wonder. I hadn't really thought about, like, Kate having to work so much and the mm. kid having to work so much like a, apparently the main guy uh, having to support his family with his bank job also kind of plays into this consumerism thing we were talking about or not consumerism but like a critique of like you know the the working people are having it sucks for them right now mm-hmm. you know but part of what's so weird about that though I was thinking about this the whole movie everyone is complaining about money everyone is in a really tight spot everyone has like a huge they live in like a really nice suburb like yeah yeah but it's, this it's was, just like the Simpsons but also they this have, was you know? 84 where there was more kind of that was more available I guess to more working class people than it would be these days yeah i still think in general no matter what era the people on tv had bigger houses than their pay bracket yeah um but yeah it, that was more more possible than I mean, it is now my grandparents lived where they did when uh my grandma was a school bus driver and my grandpa owned just like a little little car shop like um totally and think about where where that area was uh but owning a car shop compared to being a bartender that's that's a pretty good job to have comparatively pay-wise right but i mean she was most likely like living with her family or her mom um, for oh for sure you're right i i guess i just meant that it sort of fits with everything else where there's like a just a very squishy like every theme there's like a very squishy kind of it plays both sides of it and it's sort of mm-hmm. that's just sort of what it felt totally. like to me like they talk a lot of talk about like everyone every ad- adultish character talks about finances pretty yeah. much but like their lives are like fine yeah yeah until the gremlins show up yeah everyone is totally sort of yeah. fine I mean, not everyone. So we have that family in the beginning who Mrs. Deagle is threatening That's or true. whatever. Who They come up begging, like, which I to talk about Mrs. Deagle for a minute. Like, first of all, like that scene kind of added to the dark side of Christmas because they're like, come on, it's Christmas. Like, we're hungry. And she's like, you're not going to be a bunch of freeloaders. Like, I hope Santa will get something for you or yeah. what, something like that, which yeah. is just like, man, Christmas can be used to twist the knife, right? Yeah. Like to salt the wound. The, the hardest part of that scene was... uh. After Mr. Steele goes in the building, uh, when the kids are like, Mommy, I'm hungry. And she goes, Yes. Yeah, I am too. That was like the saddest thing. You expect the mom to be, to say something more kind of like, We're going to get through we'll this get and through support it. her. But she's just like, Yeah. Yeah, I'm starving too. I don't know what we're going to do. Like that, that like really hammered home just like how desperate and depressing the situation was. Right. That could have been like a 10 second sequence. Mm-hmm. in like a lot of movies where the yes. greedy you know landlord or bank person is walking down the street and like there's like someone comes up and is like please i you know and the banker dismisses him right away 
but this was like yeah. a whole thing where they're like they go through it and then they twist the final little knife at the end and and mrs deagle is clearly shown i mean later as you mentioned charlie she changes a little by not torturing and killing a dog <laughs> but she's shown to be like evil mm. cold-blooded right mm. but her only crime is following extremely normal bank practices yeah right and cutting but in she, line yeah cutting in line for sure but which is the ultimate you know fucking crime in america um and i'm fucking serious about that by the way uh but like it's just interesting that this movie is depicting someone who will stand by very normal bank practices as someone who would enjoy torturing a dog <laughs> it's fucking intense <laughs> it's good shit they're telling you who they are pretty early on and i love it yeah definitely just throwing this out there it's insane that billy um takes his dog to work at the bank <laughs> i love it i mean it's incredible totally like just please be quiet <laughs> yeah oh the other thing that just that kind of keeps coming up throughout this movie is this idea of uh, a changing world like that is yeah. like you know mr fetterman comes up with it through like the invading outside force you know like I forget what his friend at the bank's name is, or I guess friend, his rival at the bank, maybe. Judge Reinhold, um, which yeah. it was in, I, it's so weird how he just appears in like two scenes and you're like, oh, this guy's going to be like a, a side character throughout. And then he just never appears again. Um, I can't even remember who you're talking about. He, meet, he meets uh, him at the bar and he gives. Oh, that was my original dumb yeah. cop. I fucking hated yeah. that guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One of the greatest pickup lines ever. Like, come on, we're talking cable. <laughs> <laughs> but like, he exists to be like, that art you're doing, don't do it. Like, yeah. this is yeah. not the world that you're living in now. Yeah. And I mean, basically, like, I don't have enough quite to flesh it out, but I also feel like this might be a very meta movie about filmmaking in general. Mm. Um, I, I don't have like a full thing, but one of the, one of the things I've been thinking about is like this movie should not be, is not supposed to be made. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> and I sort of think that's what he exists to do to a certain extent. I could see it. Dante sees himself to an extent as Billy and that he's, because Dante came up, you know, he's a film lover. He, uh, he, I think he had like a theater that he would show just like old movies and foreign movies at. And then um, he came up under Corman, just learning how to make all this, uh, you know, under budget, super um, yeah. cheap movies, and learn how to make movies like that. And then uh, he got a chance to Corman just like to make these movies. And then uh, he made Piranha, the Jaws ripoff. Spielberg saw it. He said it's the best Jaws ripoff ever. Um, so yeah. Spielberg wanted to make uh, he got him Gremlins. Um, what uh, a guy! That's a great move. Yeah. yeah, holy shit! Wait, this is a weird aside, but I've heard Piranha Two is even better than Piranha, the James Cameron one. Is that is that true? I haven't seen Piranha Two, but uh, I'm pretty I sure. I believe Piranha Two is the one where they be... fly. What? Yeah, I, I think, think the so. Piranhas fly. Uh, yeah, you're making a joke, right? <laughs> no, no, I've heard it's like incredible, but from people who like would like Piranha in the first place. You know what I mean? Like that it's just like out, super out there. It was like one of James Cameron's first. People movies. generally, I feel like think 
Piranha is like an okay, not like a great movie. While Piranha Two is just like one of the worst movies ever made. Um, was my understanding. Okay, maybe I'm remembering but like a fun bad movie. Exactly. Yeah, but that's amazing that that's a James Cameron movie. I believe um, so. No, I'm it looking is. It up yeah, Piranha Two sure. is James Cameron. Oh, okay. He, he also came up under Corman. Um, I mean, so many people came up under Corman. Uh, totally. Goals. As a side note, Dick Miller, who's Futterman, I highly recommend Corman's 1959 movie *Bucket of Blood*, starring uh, Dick Miller. It's great, great fun kind of horror comedy. Can I can I jump way back for just a second? Yeah. Please. <clears throat> Sorry. So <clears throat> no, it's okay. The other thing that makes me think that this is kind of like a meta movie they they do this is like a little conspiratorial, but I noticed. They lingered on this record in the department store. And I'm like, what the fuck is this record? And it's this, it's called Figure Control Record through Asian, Asian Neurothayanetic. It's a word that only exists on this album. I looked it up. Figure Control Record through Asian Neurothayanetic Self Hypnotism by Dr. Dante who was a like celebrity psychic for a little while and also went to jail for his milieu of, of fraud crimes. But I remember seeing something about like Dr. Dante or something like that. I thought that was just him referring to himself um, doing no. a little Easter egg. Well, I think it is, but there's this, again, it's through some like, it's figure control records. So it's like a dieting mm. through hypnosis album. Whoa. But I basically think he again and through this asian hypnosis specifically and i think he is placing himself in the role of the gremlin in this movie he is like that is a nod as dr dante i think that's a nod to himself as um and hypnotizing like literally hypnotizing you with this like idea of an invading force from the east which is you know through this being this pack of gremlins or whatever but it is fake dr dante was a notorious fake you know interesting i i don't know that's a trip this is a little half-baked but i thought about this for a little while today that's... so you're saying because there's an album that says dr dante and is about you know this fake thing coming from the east to like exploit you know our audiences because it's obviously in english that he's suggesting he's doing the same thing with this film uh, yes it just yeah. it just lingered on this record for longer than it should have and i'm like what the fuck is going on with this hell yeah that's, dude. that's a great it's in my theory. reality tunnel <laughs> <laughs> hell yeah i'm gonna write joe dante and ask him that would be really great bring me some closure but will he answer as himself or will he be playing this forward oh, you know what i mean will he be the gremlin <laughs> uh well we haven't even dived kind of into the weird orientalism around like that seems like a good time to talk about it like we have this I, i'm assuming barto when you were talking about the racism you were talking about the the shop owner he's just like smoking an opium pipe in uh in his dingy little place of treasures i mean and so you said something about you know he's not trying to be racist um but 
like maybe it is and i think that that's a big problem with orientalism in general is people having this stereotypical view of like the like asia or the middle east and then just perpetuating it and that being racist because it's not it's like these are stereotypes that have held people down for a long time um but not necessarily i don't think it's mean-spirited at all i do Mm -hmm. think he is playing like you know a trope of like the wise man from the east who has all the answers but is also possibly a danger if you don't like play your cards right and it's kind of interesting it does it does kind of stick out like a sore a sore thumb in this movie but again so my my other thing i think it's a sort of like racism that it appearing but i think he's doing it sort of how do i put this do you think he's playing on the stereotype rather than just putting it out there yes thank you that's i i don't necessarily know if i have enough evidence to back that up though Except I think part of the idea of this movie is you are being duped by the idea of this movie. <laughs> you know, like, like just like you're being duped by the idea of Christmas or whatever. Right. Yeah. I, I think there's this this sort of like you're worrying about the wrong thing if you're worrying about the gremlins. What should you be worrying about, Barto? What should you be worrying about? Yeah. I, you should What's the right thing? You should be worrying about the fact that like everyone's kind of like barely hanging on and you should be yeah. worried about the fact that like there's just like people are just like making shit. You know, he, you have mm. all this like useless <laughs> bullshit in this house. There's a yes. constant war with technology going on uh throughout totally. this film. There's uh, you know, Again, the the Fetterman is killed by his own tractor. You know, there's not, yeah. not killed. Shows up in the sequel. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. But that is a good point. I hadn't thought about the tractor thing too. Yeah, I mean, we should be worried about dads dying and rotting in uh, chimneys <laughs> yeah, before I mean, anyone even notices. Yeah, Santa you know? isn't fucking real. Grow up. <laughs> yeah, I think there's um, there's like double. There, I, I don't know how to think of it other than like a doubling of everything. You you think of it from kind of a distance and he's just supposed to point out that you're duped by this and it's racist that they totally. used him, but I don't think he meant to, he meant to be like your racist audience member. Sure. I mean, cause it's just as common a stereotype at that time as the punk or something else. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting. I want to say I, think the same thing as you where i was like i think he's knowingly doing this but only because i'm giving him the benefit of the doubt because i like the movie a lot like i don't mm-hmm. see any evidence for it necessarily mm. i don't know what to grab onto there i think it is an extremely interesting idea uh and that's all i got <laughs> um it's just like the rest of this movie where it's like it all connects and it's all in layers and it's all like you have the thing and then you have us thinking about the thing and they're showing us the us thinking about the thing part like christmas or whatever else yeah i mean well i think there's also you know doesn't necessarily excuse it but i would think joe dante as well as um, john carpenter um i would think they're they're both fans of like lots of hong kong uh movies and kung fu movies that also kind of portray this kind of same atmosphere as the the shop and the shop owner in a lot of their movies um that they're probably taking a lot of it from um which once again doesn't necessarily excuse them uh totally 
replicating the stereotype, but I, I think it's also part of the influence of what they totally yeah of their interests and likes. I I think he was using it in a in a positive spirit. Yeah, I think definitely. I definitely think he was. Uh, I mean, he's, it's one of the problems with this weird stereotype, right? Of like, you know, you have this with like black women in movies too. Of like, you're the wise one, and it's mm-hmm. like. Well, it's cool that you're calling them wise, but it's also a lot of times you don't have a lot of depth of character or something. And it's yeah. the same thing here. Like, it's, you're obviously, this is the guy we're supposed to listen to. Um, yeah. So it can't be that bad, but yeah. yeah. Uh, I just want to point out another layer of your, what did you say? The movie is duping. You're duping yourself into, what did you say? <laughs> I don't remember my exact words, but I... I think the movie is trying to trick you into worrying about the wrong parts of the movie, like the whole time, essentially. Or like you said something like you're duping yourself, like on your thoughts of what this movie's supposed to be, something like that. Yeah, something um, like that. I don't know. It, but but another layer of that um, kind of meta layer is just the uh, people going into this. Um, you know, a lot of people are expecting, yes, like a ET type of movie and being a child's movie, and then they see all this kind of. Uh, extreme violence yeah (laughs) Um, uh, and just being completely duped from what they thought they're expecting um on the flip side of that there are some people who go into it thinking it's going to be like a horror movie and then be like oh it's there's it's not really a horror movie either um so once again kind of like subverting your expectations of what you're trying to find so just another layer of what you're saying yes and i love charlie earlier you said something about them not knowing who to market it to Mm -hmm. and that's like a dream come true like all movies right now are just the who are we marketing it to okay let's make a movie for that and this was like we just have this thing we don't know what this thing (laughs) is but we do know if we put water on it it'll be a problem (laughs) like (laughs) i don't know it's just fucking great what a cool meta film oh (laughs) man yeah yeah and then the second one gets even more meta Yes. And and it just doesn't even like you look like it's trying to at all. Mm-hmm. Like no. it you could just watch this movie totally straight and it's still a fucking awesome movie. Yeah. And I I I was trying to get across this in the beginning but like I was watching it straight and then something punched me in the face. I don't know exactly what, but I was like, "Oh, there's a bunch going on here." <laughs> and it was like I was having a great time before that, but after that, I was becoming, like, obsessive, you know? Uh, They do a good fucking job in this fucking film. Yeah. I I do have to point out that the shop owner we keep talking about, he's the Uncle Ben of the Gremlins universe. Uh, With much mogwai comes much responsibility. (laughs) Y'all know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Yes. Spider-Man? Yes. Anybody? I first I I thought you were talking about the uh, rice um, guy. (laughs) 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 Then I realized you're talking about Star Wars. (laughs) No, no, I'm talking about Spider-Man, not Star Wars. <laughs> oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> Have you all heard that uh, uh, Radio Lab from like 15 years ago about uh, trying to get kids to torture Furbies and seeing if they'd do it? What? I definitely have, but I don't remember it. Just this, all I can think about is that when I'm watching this, like they they would try to get kids to like hold a Furby upside down and keep moving it up and down even when it would be like crying for help and to like test human empathy and that's all i can think about when looking at gizmo <laughs> um, anyway humans are fucked up 
the science teacher was originally supposed to be found with his face filled with hypodermic, hypodermic needles, but Spielberg <laughs> requested that they change it to just one needle in his rump. And he was right. It was so fucked up that they brought him to that teacher because it was also like, that teacher doesn't live at the school. You're just forcing this mogwai to stay in a box at the school overnight? Fuck off. I also love how the teacher took like this huge fucking draw of blood yeah. from the mogwai. <laughs> and that, um. was, that was another thing. So... That was what gave me clues about the gremlins is that like all the people they initially went off off at were were bad, which was interesting. Mm. You know, like no, the first thing they ever go off on is as Mogwai they tie up Barney in the Christmas lights. That is the first victim. Poor Barney, the greatest actor in the movie. Barney. I don't get how they can go out of the room, get the dog tie it up with lights and but they can't just like go get food like they had to break the alarm clock or the clock to get him to bring food but why can't they just go get food why can't they just go to the fridge yeah yeah (laughs) that's threw um, me off really hard yeah that's a great point um uh the scene where the other mogwais are throwing darts at at gizmo so the whole crew hated Gizmo and the Gremlins and all of them because the puppets were so hard to deal with. <laughs> and they passed around a paper that said, uh, Dante passed around a paper to the crew that was like, horrible things we can do to Gizmo. And um, uh, the, the throwing darts at him was one of the suggestions that they're like, okay, we can do this. So that's why they did nice. the darts at him. <laughs> Well, I got a question. You do with Mogwai what your society has done with all of nature's gifts. So, like, what should we do with nature's gifts, y'all? Pour oil on them. Okay. Seems reasonable. I don't know what you're supposed to do with a Mogwai. Like, I think he meant just appreciate things, right? Is that what he meant by nature's gifts? I don't know. Yeah, like, I mean, just live a life that's not a westernized, weird consumerist culture life around them that you're Mm -hmm. like you know instead of having them watch tv you know do what people used to do which is like just walk through the woods you know like build a wall farm (laughs) i don't know build a wall very uh (laughs) maga of you (laughs) this is weird how that's the first thing you went your second thing you went to walk through the park build a wall sorry (laughs) i've 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 built walls with bricks. It felt like a very like natural thing to do. I was once on a mushroom and uh, taking mushrooms, and this dude was hanging out, and he was like, "I." The actor that played Barney, his name is Mushroom. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, anyways, he was one just like sprung into action. He's like, "I want to dig a tree or dig a hole or climb a tree." And throughout the course of the night, he did both those things, and it felt very yeah. much, you know, like what they're, what you're getting at. <laughs> yeah, dude, just yeah. dig a hole. Yeah, and imagine if you were doing that with Gizmo. Oh, that would be the best. Yeah. Hell yeah. And speaking of watching TV, though, a lot of black and white movies playing. Only black and white movies playing in this movie. Interesting. Until Snow White. The first movie Gizmo's watching was supposed to be a Chuck Jones cartoon. Um, but for some reason, Dante can remember they switched it to whatever movie he is watching, which uh, he can't fathom why, because they had to pay for that movie while the Chuck Jones cartoon was owned by Warner Brothers. So, but I wonder what the story there was. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Lost of time. But um, cartoons, Chuck Jones, good stuff. It's Snow White, like a very early color movie. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's one of the earliest uh, Disney animations. I wonder what that says that the whole time Gizmo's watching black and white movies and the gremlins go watch a color movie. Mm. I, I wonder if that's something. Yeah. Maybe Joe Dante thought of himself as the future and that's why, you know, they were watching the Sorry, I didn't hear that. What'd you say? Or Joe Dante thought of himself as the cutting edge and they were in the equivalent of the filmography of this movie watching the mm. cutting edge. Interesting. I mean, when they were watching them, they all already knew the words and were singing along and they love it. I just thought it was like a fuck you to Disney. I just <laughs> thought it was like a, cause in, at the time I was thinking like, Oh, they're just the consumer, you know, like the gremlins can eat forever. They're never satisfied. They're like disgusting American consumers and they all love Disney. So you know, that's how I thought of it, but well, that makes sense. On a more shallow note, um, that is interesting. I, I didn't realize, I didn't think of this before, but this is a Warner Brothers movie, uh, so it's yeah. weird that that that's a Disney movie, um, and that could play into that. Totally, I did think that that scene is like genuinely touching when they're oh. when they're all sitting in the theater like singing along. It's so cute. It, it's like it is, their oh, yeah. moment. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Well, y'all, I feel like we were. Uh, I feel like we've kind of we've come to a trickle. How do y'all feel? Yeah. Um, God damn it! There's something I was just about to say, and then I completely forgot what it was. Uh, Joe Dante said this movie is he saw this as a wonderful life meets the birds, which I think is a killer concept. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Hell yeah. This is a how, how what's the gremlin scale? I okay to rate this movie. I'm gonna give this movie a gizmo, uh, whatever that means to you. It's it's, it's cute. That's an it's incredible uh, rating. That is fucking incredible rating. Jesus, it's got some danger behind it, you know, but uh, it's not its fault. And I don't know. This movie is fucking great. What can I say? We've just been talking it up this whole time, but I really was like just assuming this would be, you know, great if I watched it as a kid. And this was great as fuck when I watched it. And I, I fucking love it. It's awesome. This is this is Gizmo driving a little race car around. Definitely. Oh, yeah. Tippity top. What a great uh, for those of you at home, Charlie is displaying a gremlin toy, a gizmo toy, and his gizmo shirt. <laughs> yeah, so I got, I got two gizmos and a gremlin... There's also some Christmas trees and some gremlins on this shirt. Uh, Let it be noted, his fair feet are nowhere in the frame. Oh God, you're right. I'm gonna. All right. I'm gonna rate this a, a feet pick and a gizmo, um, and a gizmo shirt, and um, a picture printout of gizmo and like a trucker hat. <laughs> All right. Alrighty. Oh yeah, it's a great rating. All right, folks. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're stoked to have you here. Uh, just so you know, not only do we have this holiday episode that is uh, out right now that you just listened to, but we also are on the Tokyo Lives sideshow called Tokyo Signals Christmas episode about Kong, King of the Apes. That's what it's called. And you should check it out. Uh, you can uh, rate us on Apple Podcasts, and you fucking should do that. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at NoGodsPod, as long as it, it's still a website. And you can email us, NoGodsPod at gmail.com. 
And if you want to support the show, you can sabotage machinery. I don't know. What do y'all got? We're also on TikTok at No Gods Pod. Yeah, Barto, our um, uh, one of our two social media managers, created a TikTok <laughs> for us. So uh, hopefully there'll be some feet pick, some feet videos coming up soon for you. You you think beating sweat looks good in a still image? Just wait. Yeah. Just wait. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, that's it.